0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com. Forbes and MSNBC's Your Business. This podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, accelerate your business growth has got to cover. And now on with the show. My guest today is Dr. Natalie Petahoff. Natalie is co-author of the new Wall Street Journal business best-selling book, Empathy in Action, How to Deliver Great Customer Experiences at Scale. She's also Senior Customer Experience Strategist and Consultant at Genesis, a company that orchestrates more than 70 billion remarkable customer experiences for organizations in more than 100 countries through the power of its cloud, digital, and AI technologies. Thanks so much for joining me today, Natalie. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Empathy is one of my favorite subjects. I always learn something um, during these conversations. Um, And my first question is, why do you believe empathy is the next frontier in business? So it
0: doesn't seem like I would say for most people that the word empathy would apply to businesses, but from the very beginning of my career, when I started out as an engineer um, and even today, it seems like, and, and maybe this is just something that's been ingrained in my DNA, but really focusing on the two assets that a business has your employees and your customers, and actually sitting in the seat of those two assets and understanding what an experience feels like to them is really kind of the deciding factor as to whether you stay in business or not. And I think that that point
1: still escapes most business leaders. I do too. (laughs) do do you think it is more so now or has it always been you know equally equally important and valuable
0: i i think it's always been i mean in the book we have um a custom uh, like a stone template and this guy on the stone template is complaining about some copper that he bought and it's like you know eons ago right and so It's like the first record of a customer service complaint. And so what I think is that's really fascinating to me that all the way back, you know, now we have chat and email and social and all the places that we reach out to companies. But even back then, people were saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you care about what you've given me? I don't deserve to be treated this way. And I think it's a basic human need to be seen and heard and respected. And if I'm giving you my time as an employee, or if I'm giving you my money as a customer, there needs to be an equally respected reciprocal agreement with that company. And I think for so long companies, and we go all the way back to the first industrial revolution, where, you know, and and I want to acknowledge all the people that created all those really amazing inventions, because without them, you know, our world wouldn't have all the conveniences we have, but I think we have a zeitgeist that we created back then, which was people over profit and to the extent to which we brought that forward. And I think it's kind of like a a tipping point right now where you have people's expectations higher than ever before. And that's because there's a lot of brands who are delivering great experiences and your brand, whether it's the same, you know, travel industry or or exercise industry or, uh, you know, Apple Watch or whatever it is, you're being compared to those experiences. And if you can't deliver, then you're getting judged by that. And I think part of part of what companies don't realize is that customers and employees have a voice, and have a have like they're just. I think they've finally gotten to the point where they're just not going to take it anymore. And what I find is there's always a lag time with businesses to really understand what's happening in the marketplace. And, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing is, is some companies are getting it, but a lot are not. Boy, it
1: for sure. <clears throat> it, it's, it's always remarkable to me. Um, the The variation in experience that you can have with different companies and you know, an understanding that that people um, you know they vote with their wallet when it comes to customers, and we've been noticing, and I want to talk to you about all of this, you know, great resignation and and reshuffle and all of that, because boy, we're really noticing that employees are voting with their feet. So they are. You know, yeah. So, well, so talk about the factors that are going into all of this, if you would. So I think
0: part of it is that, you know, you have, so the way I look at this is you really have two main assets and your main assets are your employees and customers. Without employees, you really don't have anybody to build products and services. And without customers, you don't have anybody to buy them. And yet neither one of them are on the P&L. So mm-hmm. Right, that's kind of fascinating. Is the value of those two entities doesn't exist on the P and L, and then you take into consideration, you know, your customers are probably waking up in the morning, jumping on their Peloton, uh, jumping in an Uber to go to the Apple Store, and then take their new computer, or Apple Watch to Starbucks and hang out with their friends or colleagues, and then they log onto Wealthfront to check their bank account. And so regardless of industry, your customers are comparing these experiences to their last experience with brands like these that are known for great experiences. And one of the things I think that is really key here is that when a company makes a product, would they go to market and say, I'm going to create the worst product on the planet and expect people to buy. So let's say that um, my company builds pencils. And I'm going to have a pencil where the lead breaks. It's not very comfortable to hold. And when I go to erase the, erase something, it makes smudgy marks on my paper. So would you go to market with that strategy? Uh, Clearly, the answer yeah, is no, right?
1: Not.
0: <laughs> right? But yeah. what I think, here's the piece that most companies are missing, is when they go to market with a product, they're not selling a product They're selling the experience of using the product and whether someone buys it or not. I mean, maybe you have your early innovators and early adopters that you get some people to buy it, but then very quickly when people use it, the experience of using it, the lead breaks off, the lead doesn't stay sharp. It makes smudgy marks on my paper. All of a sudden people go, don't buy that pencil, right? So it's the experience of using the product, right? So. What I find is companies are going to market with absolutely horrible experiences and thinking that somehow that's going to garner trust and loyalty from customers. And at the same time, they really haven't, I don't think most companies have really sat down and said, What is the experience of our employees? Are we giving them the right tools? How much cognitive burden? they experience on a daily basis trying to get their job done do we make it easy for them to get their job done or do we make it difficult right are there a lot of politics and obstacles and not invented here and when you start to really look at it I I can remember a long time ago I worked for Hughes Electronics and they're not in business anymore so I can tell the truth I guess about them um (laughs) they we did an employee survey and you know people really frustrated about you know things that could be fixed right politics processes tools um you know having access to to be able to give management feedback so that the things that were holding them up from doing their job and being really productive you know there was no avenue to do that because it was a top-down one-way communication and So what's fascinating to me was after the survey came out, they redecorated the elevators (laughs) and they gave us all coffee cups. And it was just like, what, what? And what was happening at the time. And it's also, it's very fascinating to watch external market conditions. So at the time, Uh, I managed a lot of digital signal processing engineers, and at the time, they were very uh, highly sought after in Silicon Valley, and I was here, down here in Southern Cal, and so we just lost a large chunk of the most important employees in terms of being core to, to our differentiators, and leadership was confounded, like they couldn't understand why people were leaving, and it wasn't just salary, it was... I don't want to wake up every day and feel like I don't want to get out of bed. So why would I work for you anymore? And I, I think, you know, part of the great resignation and the great reshuffle um, COVID created what I would call a, a cause for pause. And for most, you know, for, for most people, I think all of our lives greatly changed. Many people, you know, their daily routine or how they went to work or how they accessed a company to buy from, it was greatly changed, right? I I can remember buying things online and then taking my packages before I brought them in the house and spraying them with Lysol because we didn't know how the transmission happened. So you go from a lot of people being really scared to having a lot of quiet time. And in that quiet time, that pause, um, a lot of people got to self-reflect and say, is this what I want for my life? Does this match my values? Does this match my lifestyle? And I think also a lot of people, and I want to honor all the people who lost lost loved ones because that was very tragic. And at the same time, a lot of people did get to spend time with family and did get to experience what it is to have a different kind of lifestyle. And I think a lot of people, you know, looked at that and said, this is not really what I want. The experience, right? So there's different factors in working for a company. There's salary and benefits and security or or perceived security. And then there's the experience, the everyday experience. And when that everyday experience causes so much cognitive burden that you reach a tipping point and you're like, I don't care how much you're paying me. It feels awful to work here. I'm not going to do it. And again, we go back to, you know, I think companies are very linear. They're very efficient and effective in their mindset, very business centric in terms of how they look at these things. And they're not sitting in the seat of the customer or the employee and saying, what is it to be an employee? What is it to be a customer? What is that experience? And what could we do better? And I think that's, you know something got got ignited in people and I don't think there's any going back from this
1: I don't either I agree with everything that you've said and and I I really you know I listen to people all the time and and these owners or leaders will complain about you know we can't find good people and we can't keep people and, and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And my response is always, you know, at at this point, I think we have to deal with each employee individually, not as a pack because each one of them has different goals and needs and desires and interests and and whatnot. And granted, some aren't going to fit, but I think an awful lot of them, it's possible to meet the employee halfway and, and work out a, a an environment and a system that works for them. So then they feel valued and they feel connected and contributing and, you know, that they're, they have more buy-in.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And I think my experience of most companies is that they they see, okay, I'm paying you X dollars and for that X dollars, you're going to do X amount of work, mm-hmm. right? So there's a, an implicit agreement, but rarely what gets talked about is how are you going to empower me to do my job? Right. What does compensation look like in terms of if I set these goals and if I'm able to reach them? Um, what is my reward? Right. And sometimes reward can come as simple as saying, Wow, great job. Thank you. You really make a difference. Right.
1: Yeah. And
0: I think that there's a psychological, emotional component of work that we lost somewhere along the way. Um, I think maybe back when it was mom and pop shops and it was, you know, a smaller, Entity, where it's the butcher, the baker, the shoemaker, and we got so big. I I think it was um, Malcolm Gladwell who said that if you get a group bigger than a hundred and fifty people, it's nearly impossible to keep those same sort of personalized relationships. And I think we have big companies with a lot of infrastructure, and they're trying very hard to create. Um, processes to manage people, but it takes people to manage people. And my experience in most companies is you have managers who are managing tasks and you really need leaders who are inspiring people. And that's how you build culture is through inspiration and motivation and having a massive transformative purpose that's bigger than the company itself or bigger than someone's individual job that you can aspire to. Wow. When we, when I wake up every day, I'm contributing to this type of transformation in the world and most companies. It's so fascinating, Diane, because I I think most leaders and most companies are so out of touch and really using old business centric leadership techniques that they really think that people are going to get up and bust their butt and not be appreciated. And so I think the most recent interesting uh, evolution of employee revolt, if you will, is the quiet quit. Yes. It's amazing. The quiet quit is fascinating because I mean, I get the great resignation, right? You've just had it. You're going to go reskill yourself. You're going to retire. You're just going to complete. Like I had a friend who was a nurse who was in ER and just, you know, COVID broke her heart. Um, and she just, um, now she's coaching nurses and, you know, she gets up every day and she goes for a run and can structure her day properly and everything isn't an emergency. And, um, she just has a better life. I mean, she's still being a nurse and she's still contributing, but she structured her, her work life very differently. And so I think with the quiet quit, um, It's interesting because you keep your job, you keep your salary, you keep your benefits. You just don't put in 60 or 80 hours a week. You just put in what you have to. And like, if I was a business owner and I knew that my employees felt that way and I was paying them, let's say a dollar, but I was really only getting 40 or 60% of that dollar return on my investment. I'd be like, wait a minute, what am I doing wrong that people don't want to put their heart and soul into the work that we do? Right. But what kind of leader does it take to be that self-reflective to ask those questions and then actually listen and understand the feedback and then take that feedback and figure out how can we change things and then continuously learn from them and that really goes back to our four empathy pillars and that's you know again empathy sitting on the seat of your customers and employees very simple concept when you do that what do you see what do you feel how does it feel to them regardless of what you think it might should be like right, right. what is it right. from their perspective and then What are you doing to change that? And unless you're willing to do that as a leader, don't be surprised if you don't have employees and don't be surprised if you don't have customers
1: either. Exactly. It's exactly right. There are times when I have an experience with a company and um, it is so difficult for me to navigate and when I finally get a human, their response is, well, we set up that system because, uh, you know, the company is working on efficiencies. And what." I'm thinking, well, good for you, except it's a terrible experience for your customer.
0: So, right. And that's all about cost cutting, right? Yeah. So having been, you know, an analyst and technologist and implemented these kinds of systems for years, they are, when you reach out to a company, they want to be able to serve you at the least possible cost. And up until now, so we went from sending in a letter, right, to calling, and then there were too many calls, so then they did a call center, which they have, you know, calls come in to a one eight hundred number, and the calls get distributed to the poor people who have to answer the phone and listen to us complain, and then you know they had email and they had chat and right, but yeah. the technology up until now was really focused on how do we not let you talk to a human because talking to a human is the most costly part of that experience so let's use a bot or email or chat but the problem with those technologies up until now has been that they're dumb right so they give canned responses you can't get what you want you can't get what you need and so what do you do and this whole concept of first contact resolution well if the bot's dumb and they ask you who you are and they can't see what you need and they give you canned answers and they can't help you what do you do Well, then you try another channel and it's probably going to be voice. You're probably going to call and then you're going to have to repeat to that agent a whole story, right? And then that agent has to sit there and listen to you go blah, 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 blah. And that increases their cognitive burden, right? And it's the interaction is really long. And now the agent's frustrated. So they want to quit their job and the customer's like, oh my God, I'm never buying anything from you again because you don't have my back and this is really difficult. So- that experience of dealing with your company is driving customers and employees away. Now, the truth is that up until now, we have not been able to make that experience better. Right. We can now do that. But if leaders are still in the mindset of cutting costs, right, and using old legacy technology from the third and fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. And they don't really realize we're now, since 2021, we're now in the fifth industrial revolution and we now have technology with the advents of AI and cloud and data that can actually codify a very human experience. So in my work, it's helping leaders understand that the way that you're doing it now and if you keep doing it this way you're going to drive customers away yeah so in essence it's going to cost you more and if you're thinking that you're going to drive revenue if you think people are going to buy from you you're got to be out of your
1: mind right it's it's crazy it just it doesn't work everyone complains about it 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 and, and specifically, like they can say specifically, it's not just that generalized, ugh, it's so awful to deal with those people. P- people can tell you specifically what doesn't work, what is broken from the experience viewpoint, both employees and customers. And it just, I keep thinking back to the story you told about how that you got cups and, and I just think, <laughs> you know. I
0: know. Well, we were all just like sitting there going, what? What? I mean, I think, I think at that time, maybe they sent an email. I'm trying to remember how we got the communication because we we all came into work and there was like a little box at at our desk. So they must've gone around and gave everybody a box. And then there was an email that said, you know, we heard, we, you know, employee survey, we heard you. And what we've done is blah, 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 decorate the elevators. And we hope you enjoy your coffee cup. And I, I, were I, you could tell like people are opening their email in the morning and then people stood up in their cubicles and we're all looking at each other. Like, did you read that? (laughs) And it's like, okay, we all need to just go get a donut and, or just like, like, and a lot of us just got up from our desks and we went, there was like a truck outside. They had donuts and coffee. And a lot of us just went out. Like (laughs) we, we did get to see the groovy elevator, but (laughs) <laughs> um, it's just like, what were they thinking? And so I asked the manager, right. Cause I I'm always fascinated. I'm always doing research. I'm always wondering what was, So let me sit in the seat of the leader who made that right. decision. Right. So I guess there was leftover budget in the facilities budget. And they thought, well, what can we do? People are in the elevator every day. Um, we'll redecorate the elevators. And I just said, Where in the scope of things that you could have changed, did you ever ask employees, what would be better if? And And they kind of looked at me like, what? (laughs) Why would we ask them? We know better. And I said, but do you, right? Do you? And then within a month, our attrition numbers looked horrible. And so I went back to the same leaders And I said, okay, so here's the result of decorating the elevators. We've lost 20% of our engineers. And they're like, well, can you go recruit? And I go, yeah, I can recruit. But for every engineer, they're probably paid $75,000 a year at that time. I said, I need between 150 and 200,000. So if you want me to replace 200 engineers, you do the math. So, So here's the equation. It costs you... $50,000 to redecorate the elevators. And now it's going to cost you 200 times 200 to go replace these people. Did you not do the math?
1: No. Do you not understand
0: what it costs to replace people? And, and it's like, that's just the recruiting cost, but now we have to get people up to speed and we have people who don't know. And at the time when I was working for Hughes, it was Military specs. So it, it's a very specific process, and the, you can't have mistakes. Things can't break because it's a lot of that Some of it was commercial, but some of it was uh military. Okay. And so, you know, they're mission critical things. So,
1: yeah.
0: and that, you know, even like it, it, if you saw, I think in the introduction, I talked about one of my first examples as an engineer was um I, I did a lot of corrosion work. So they came to me and they said, well, we're thinking about not galvanizing both sides of the doors in our cars. And I said, okay, what do you want to know? And they go, well, we want to know if it'll corrode faster. And I said, well, I can tell you off the top of my head. Yes. Um, there's a reason why <laughs> wait, we do that. Wait. I go,
1: yeah. But Natalie, I don't do that work. And I could have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um and they go, well, no, no,
0: just go ahead and do the experiment. So I do the experiment. I come back, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's going to corrode and you're going to have cars running around in particular. I was in Detroit at the time, you know, with holes in their sides and that's really awful looking. Right. Yes. So I give the report and then they go, okay, well, thank you very much. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And they go, well, why do you want to know? And I go, well, I'm just curious. I, I put, you know, time and energy into the the research and the experiment. I'm just curious what your decision is. And I thought for sure they would make a, a good decision for the customer. They go, Yeah, we're not going to do two sided galvanized. And I go, What? And they're like, Excuse me. And I, I said, Well, we're going to have holes in the sides of cars. Mm-hmm. And they said, Yeah, we know it's kind of planned obsolescence. And, and they go, Well, why are you so concerned about the cars? And I said, Why aren't you? Yeah, But it's this old Ah. mindset of efficiency and effectiveness and cost cutting and planned obsolescence and really not sitting in the seat of a customer. And then what happened to the American auto industry? And it's so fascinating, right? You see these cycles and it takes time for the cycle to go through, but the American auto industry, you know, did not listen to Deming, Edward Deming. And Edward Deming said, put your seat in the you know, put yourself in the seat of the yeah. customer. He was one of the first academics to really do this. And they wouldn't listen to him. They thought he was crazy. So he went to Japan and he revolutionized the Japanese car market. Yeah. And that came back to kick the American auto industries. But years later, um, and even now with the electrics, there's, you know, still having problems trying to catch up with, you know, companies right. like Tesla. So it, what's fascinating to me, Diane, is, These things feel like common sense to me. Right. I don't know. Maybe you and I are extraordinary brilliant. Um, (laughs) Of course we are. Of course we are. And I really don't think that this is that difficult of a concept to to grasp.
1: I don't either.
0: Right. To To put yourself in the seat of a customer and an employee and figure out how am I running my business from their point of view? And what can I do to make those experiences better? So I retain my employees and I have more customers and they love our products. They buy them. They buy more every year, which is customer lifetime value. And they tell their friends and family, like if I was running a business today, that's what I would be curious about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting
0: news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude.
1: Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. Yeah, you know, whenever I do leadership training, we, I always talk about the goals and everything that a company does has to be tethered to whatever their ultimate goal is. And so you would think that they would be able to walk that line, right. That they would be able to say, well, uh, um, ecstatically happy customer gets me those goals, you know, gets me customer satisfaction, profit, Recurring business referrals, on and on and on. Same with employees. Then you do it with employees. You know, if I mm-hmm. if what does it take to, have, to in order for me to hit those goals? But they are they just don't see the connection.
0: No, and that's the part where I'm <clears throat> I'm still I'm just very curious. Like at first I was angry. Right. Yeah. Like and yeah. and I was mad, right? Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, well, being angry and mad is not going to get anybody anywhere. Right. So now I'm curious and I would love to hear from leaders, why wouldn't you do this? Yeah. Right. Is there really a reason? Or is it so one of the things I learned really in writing this book and interviewing a lot of people was blind spots. And so when you have a blind spot. You really can't see what you can't see. So when I do presentations and I talk to people and leaders, what I find is that when I create, talk about this concept and I I liken it to putting something on a shelf or having a reference point in their brain. So when I try to put it on the shelf, because there's no shelf or no reference point, it falls off the shelf and I say it again and I see it fall off the shelf and I say it again and it falls off the shelf. And so What I'm curious about, Diane, is how do we create that reference point? How do we create the shelf in their brain so that when these concepts, which are very, very, very simple, how do we get that to resonate so that they, as leaders, become ignited and sparked and excited about really looking at this, really taking the time and the energy to integrate real true feedback and then say, okay, I see we have a long ways to go here, but how can we really change things? And you know, not like redecorating the elevators or, <laughs> you know, giving people stock in a company that may or may not ever right. come to flourish or you know it it really has to mean something. to the person that's on the receiving end. And I think, I don't know, I'd love to know your thoughts because you do a lot of leadership training. Why would they be missing this point? Like what, why is the reference point not in their brain? And is this just one of those things that people like you and I are going to be talking about for the next 20 or 30 years? And at some point it'll take hold And then it'll be the norm, or maybe it'll take a hundred years. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I I think there's, there are so many things impacting it. I think one of them is that when you have people at the very top focused on numbers, then other people don't feel comfortable. I, I, how do I want to say this? what i've noticed what i think we have to do is walk them through the story with them as the person walking through the story so they can see it firsthand i don't think these leaders can first person what we're talking about unless we can walk them through the story and always tie it to the numbers the goals of the business like like when i train people to uh, manage up What I always say to them is you have to be able, if you have an idea, you have to be able to talk about it in relationship to how it's going to meet the goals of the company. Otherwise, no one's ever going to listen to you because it's not about you. It's not about what you want. It has to make a difference to the company. And that's how you eliminate argument. Because if they argue with it, it, that's arbitrary. You know, that's just, they don't want someone else coming up with ideas. And you can still push that a little, you know, you can say, help me understand, like, like you did, you know, when, when you would say, okay, help me understand why you're not going to do this thing. And I think it's going to take people like us pushing the narrative to say, let's walk through, you know, will you walk through this with me for a moment? I'm curious to see your thoughts because they're so used to this In you know, industrial age mindset of us against them with everybody, that I think that's how they decision make. I think that's how they they motor, and makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The other thing is, this younger generation is not going to have any of this. I mean, they're not having any of it, and and they have a completely different mindset. I mean, let's, you know, if we can all just hang on till they're in leadership positions, because they have a, they have a much different life experience. So I'm thinking that they are potentially more in tune to um, being, you know, empathetic leaders and considering things from someone else's viewpoint.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I that that's really key is so if you could walk through and kind of that's what I did when I was talking to uh, the leaders when I was working at Hughes and explaining to them, like, you know, you de- redecorated the elevators and the result of that action was Christ. that you really didn't get it. And then we lost all these employees. And I think you're right. I think walking through a business case um, and helping them see if you continue down this path. It's actually going to cost you more. And right. so you'll, you're, cause a, a lot of companies, even for, you know, customer service or customer experience, they're all about cost cutting. So I think if we take the stance that this is going to cost you more
1: exactly, and,
0: and you're going to lose revenue,
1: yep. why would you do that? Right, right. We have to do the math with them because that's what matters, right? We always have to speak about it in a way that they can hear which is not necessarily the way we hear it but you know it goes it's all goes along with what you're talking about you know putting ourselves in their shoes and saying okay how can i communicate this in a way that they're going it's going to make sense to them that light bulb's going to go off and and it is about because they're just you know they they're doing the penny wise pound foolish right short term decisions with long term consequences so Let's play it out for them.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I do have some hope because I think this, the younger generations aren't having it, right? They do yep. definitely have a different set of values. They, they look at these older generations and how screwed up things are. Yep. I just wonder if it's going to be too late because you're seeing very large institutions that have employed a lot of people suffering. You know, and, and I repeatedly hear we can't find good people. Right. And I'm also curious like, so everybody can't have, like, for the people out there that are not working, I'd love to know how you're supporting yourself. Cause <laughs> I, I would <laughs> like, I don't know how you exist in the world without working. Right. So, and well, they're gig lot of economy.
1: They, they've gone into the gig economy. But what does that actually mean? Well, they figured out that they can make money working when they want to work and where they want to work without having a, a boss, so to speak. And, and I don't think they're factoring in a, a lot of things that ultimately they're going to need that they're not getting by doing this. So I, I, think, I think the pendulum's going to swing again because I think these people are going to go, okay, hang on a second. This isn't as great. You know, there's things I'm not getting, um, like benefits, vacation times, you know, insurance, whatever it is. But for now, they got all that money during the pandemic, so which, you know, the vast majority needed in order to stay afloat, but they banked it, and so they had time. And they're doing Uber and DoorDash and, you know, shipped and whatever the, you know, driving for Amazon and working whatever hours they want to. And so you're what you're saying. Money. Yeah. What you're
0: saying I hear is that they're doing a short-term workaround. So they're choosing lifestyle over maybe building a solid career. Right. Because those are more temp kind of jobs. Right. And I think if you're not oh, I was talking to some of my nieces and nephews and they're like, well, we think the world is so screwed up and we're really not sure that there's a future, so we're just living for now. Wow. And yes. I get it, right? I get I that so. live for now. But if you want to get married, if you want to have a family, if you want to buy a home or a condo, mm. I mean, I think part of the reason that people in older generations got trapped into the status quo is to live, quote unquote, the American dream required that steady paycheck and that steady ability to have benefits and save money. And so if you have, as an employee, you have a very short term mindset about this temporary working situation is good for now, then yeah, I can see where a lot of companies, you know, it's the trade-off, right? What yeah. am I going to do for right now? And so maybe we're like in the middle of the the uh, well of despair, and who knows what's going to come up as we come up out of that. But if people are saying, "Well, I don't really want to deal with all the corporate politics and all the frustration and all the crap, so I'm just going to do something temporary for now," yeah. and you know, that, that's going to make it really hard for companies to be able to reach their financial goals. And so it's an interesting, so if I was an employer right now, I'd know that this was happening. This is in the zeitgeist. And I would go to market hardcore to transform my culture, Yep, to make sure that I can offer people a place and a culture where they feel seen, heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. Exactly. And then you be create, you become the employer of choice. You become yep. the place that everybody's putting, pressing their face up against the window and going, I want in, how do I get in there? Right. Exactly. So it's a, it's an, a market opportunity for yep. employers to really transform, um, what they're doing and yeah. become that
1: employer of choice. Right. Right. That's my belief. I, I, I think you are dead on. I think that is exactly the opportunity that employers have right now. It is remarkable if they are paying attention. But if they're digging their heels in and saying, "Yeah, but and this is the way it's always worked." You know, when I talk to HR groups and leaders, what I say to them is, "You can't you can't hire like you used to." Mm -mm. Those days are over job fairs and this and that you got to grow your own, you know, this is a whole different environment that we're in. And so you can keep doing what you were doing and not getting good results, or you can change the way you're doing it and have more control over, you know, who you are bringing into your world and the culture and the energy and the results that you get. There but they gotta they gotta realize it's not the same world that it was five years ago.
0: No, it's not and I don't see it going back.
1: No, me either. Me either. And thank goodness.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't want it to go back. And I do appreciate I do work remote for the most part. There's some business trips, but for the most part, I um I'm fortunate that, that I don't have to go into an office all the time. And, you know, as a result, I'm creating my own culture, but I think a lot of people don't have, you know, like I saw Elon Musk's request for everybody to come back into the office. And I'm like, well, yeah, if you're assembling in a car and you're putting tires and fenders and, you know, I mean, I worked in an assembly plant, so I know what that is. Yep. And I get that. I feel like that's a knee jerk reaction to command and control. Like I don't trust if you're at home that you're really doing what you're supposed to be doing, but it's real easy to see whether people are are doing what they're supposed to do.
1: If you're focusing on results, if you're focusing on, see, unfortunately what they do is they're focused on, I'm paying you X amount for X hours or for Y hours. No, you're not. You're, You're paying them X amount to accomplish something. You shouldn't care if they do it in 15 minutes, right? Right, Or if they do it in the middle of the night, if they have the kind of job they can do remotely, what you care about is that they accomplish the goals for that position, you know, for that. And if we would treat people that way, they would rise to the occasion of that. But when they know that what we're doing is saying, I don't trust you, so I have to be able to see you. Are you kidding? people in the office are tremendously inefficient
0: so yeah i i can remember i can remember like the amount of time i used to spend and it's good building relationships and sure. personal connections but i can remember like sitting in a cubicle and having to wear earphones because i couldn't think because there was so much noise right and then people would stop by my desk and ask me a question and I'd yeah. be like, okay, well, I'll just wait till six o'clock when everybody else goes home and then I'll get something done.
1: Right. It's ridiculous. But it's a control thing. It, and that, that moves the goal. The, the goal becomes do it my way instead of get this done. Yeah. It's, it's, and it doesn't work.
0: No. You it, know, it I don't think work. it's ever
1: worked, but it really doesn't work now.
0: It really doesn't work, Mm -hmm. and and I don't know. Like I I really appreciate being on the podcast because I think the more that people like you and I can have these conversations and presence, what is really going on, and get this to leaders so that they truly understand that to really be competitive in the marketplace, it really does require something quite different. And and that's really why we titled the book "Empathy in Action." And I know some people confuse empathy with sympathy and sympathy might be like oh I'm really sorry that's happened to you and that's kind and it's nice but it doesn't really get people what they need yeah and so this idea of sitting in the seat of someone else and then taking action from their point of view is really a simple simple it's almost like peanut butter and jelly like once you see it yeah you're like oh yeah that's really yummy I should do that but until you see it, until there's a reference point or a shelf, right. You know, and it becomes part of the culture and how we do things. I just really think that leaders are going to find it really difficult and turbulent to lead in this marketplace. I
1: do too. I do too. Yeah. And you're going to have to come back because we need to continue to have these conversations. Um, because I agree with you. I I think they really matter. And hopefully people listening to this and, and us being able to sort of tear it apart will help them look at their own environment differently and say, okay, let me give it, you know, let me try something different, you know, let me give it a different shot. So, you know, I really appreciate you having this conversation Uh with me.
0: Thank you. I mean, I'm so thrilled to be here and and so thrilled to to talk to someone else of of like minds that can see something, you know, that I think is of tremendous value to leaders, but also something that um, I really think if leaders don't get this, it's going to be really, really rocky. And especially with the recession, it's like, yeah, if if there was a time to pay attention to something, (laughs) the recession is it.
1: So, you know, before we were saying, so the universe said, I'll, I'll, I'll slow everybody down. And then too many people weren't paying attention. So they said, let's add a recession on top of that. And then let's have a war. So that right. the supply chain really gets screwed up. It's right. Just, when are we going to wake up and pay attention?
0: I don't know. It doesn't seem like it should be that difficult. I know. And yet we've made it really, really, really difficult. And yes. I'm really hoping that, um, that people can understand how simple this can be, Yeah, but it requires it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple in taking that concept and saying, okay, we're really going to do things differently. But then once you do that, then it's the follow through on how to really transform the way things are into an, a better state, not an ideal state, but a better state so that, that you can retain your employees and your customers and you have a fighting chance to be competitive.
1: Well, and so that it really becomes part, you know, built into the DNA of the company because it's not a one-shot deal.
0: No, it's not. I mean, I, I think that it's a qu- quite a, quite a journey yeah. depending on where a customer is actually starting from, yeah. um, or an employee or company is starting from, it depends on how far off they are and they won't know how far they are off from, from what customers and employees really want until they start to really do some assessment. And maybe that's something that you can do with your leaders as you're talking to them yeah. and then say, you know, I think the other thing that happens is that I do see leaders, trying to figure this out but the culture has gotten set up such that the employees are so complacent or so distrustful
1: mm-hmm.
0: of telling the truth mm-hmm. and when they have told the truth there were repercussions yeah that were not positive so yeah. they're like you know and then that I think that's where we go back we circle around back to the quiet quit which is right I've given you feedback. It fell on deaf ears. Um, It's really difficult to change anything here. I don't really want to get my hopes up. I'm just going to go in. I'm going to do my work. I'm going to work eight to two, get everything done. And then I'm going to be with my family or I'm going to do my hobby or I'm going to do my other job, or I'm going to do whatever it is that, right. You know, makes that person happy. And whether leaders understand that that's what's happening to their businesses. I mean, I wonder if the quiet quit was kind of like bubbling under the surface, and that's part of what has driven the recession.
1: I think it was definitely bubbling under the surface. When you look at um, who did that survey about uh, employee engagement, and there's some crazy high percentage of employees who are actively disengaged. Mm -hmm. And and so technically, this has been going on for a long time. I'm not sure it was as conscious as it is now. I I think this is a conscious thing that, that people are doing. And I think part of the foundation of all of this is there has been so much mistrust and so much us versus them in the workplace for so long that It's, it's insidious, you know, it is just, it's very hard to build trust from that platform. And it's going to take the leadership to do it, to fall on their sword and say, I get it. I know this is the way things have been. We're changing. Let's do this together. I need you to hold me accountable. You know, leaders are going to have to be vulnerable, which is, scary.
0: It is scary. And I think not only vulnerable, but like, what is it that there is being required of them? And I think this mindset of I know better, or the mindset of um, thinking that they know, yeah, right? It's kind of like the elevator story or the, the galvanizing story that attitude of coming in and thinking that you already know the answer yeah without asking for feedback um and feedback is not easy right it doesn't always feel good it isn't always easy to hear um and i have a, a quick story i'll tell you my friend went to a concert and there was a lot of people and he got pushed down and he ended up um cracking his forehead open and he had called me and, um, said, Hey, um, I need some help. I'm like, what? And so he sends me a picture and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And he's like, do you have any super glue? I go, what, (laughs) what super glue? What? And, um, he goes, yeah, I need some super glue. And so I'm like, let me look two o'clock in the morning. Right. So I, I look and I don't have any, I'm like, no, I don't have any super glue, but what about liquid bandage? And he goes, no, no, I want super glue. So I'm like, okay, I'll, go to CVS. I go to there and I'm standing in front of the liquid bandage and I'm like, I really think it's liquid bandage, but then I'm thinking, but that's not what he asked for. Right. So am I really being a good friend if I'm not really listening? So what I did was I did get him, uh, I did get him super glue. I also got him some liquid bandage. Uh (laughs) And when, when I dropped it off, you know, he was like, oh, wow. And his comment later was, wow, thank you for really hearing what I had to say and and bringing me what I asked. And then he said, and you know what, you are probably right. Liquid bandage um, was probably the better choice, but it really felt great to be seen and heard. Wow. It's,
1: it's so simple. And it's so
0: simple, but Right. But even in my own personal life, right. Mm. Here I am thinking I know better, right. Because I I, I've busted stuff open and, and like, I know what happens when you do super glue Um, (laughs) doesn't doesn't look good on the eyebrows. Um, So, I mean, even in my own personal life, I had to like, stop thinking that I knew better. And then to actually say, you know what, I really need to pay attention to the feedback that I'm getting. Even though I might be right. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It it doesn't make that other person feel seen and heard and acknowledged and appreciated.
1: Right. And if you think about what's more important that I'm right or, you know, like Dr. Phil says, do you want to be right or you want to be happy? Well, if I want to get to goal, sometimes the best way to get to goal is to not be right, to not push, you know, what I believe to be the right answer but to let the conversation float, to let the experiment happen. People learn from their own experiences, not from someone else's. So it's true, right? So we have to be willing to let them make mistakes and for them to be okay with making mistakes and know that it doesn't mean they're going to get fired.
0: Right, and it's kind of like with my friend, it's like, I knew that if he put super glue on his eyebrow, that he going he was gonna have to shave off the eyebrow because it just yeah does yeah right and yeah, that, that's why right. liquid bandage is very similar but it's made for human skin. Right. But and so I could see I could like see the whole scenario of what was gonna happen. Yep. But I had to let go of my own preconceived notions and ideas of what was right yep. and honor his request.
1: Exactly. And let him figure it out for himself. He's not an idiot.
0: No, I mean, and and he's used super glue in the past, right? Because he's a hunter and fisher and outdoors person. So it's worked in the past. So who am I to say what's right or wrong?
1: Yeah. 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 And this is where great ideas come from. From like, whenever I do a training, the first thing I say is, this is a no judgment zone and there are no bad ideas. There's only ideas we can't implement right now. Because- I learned from my uncle a long time ago that just, you know, have the ideas. Most of them are going to be garbage, but you're really just interested in the one that isn't. Right. It's the only way you're going to get to it. So, you know, empowering people and creating a safe space for them to feel like they are Valued and acknowledged and contributing, but it, it makes so much difference that I think that's the mindset we just have to get to. Right, right, and I think that's
0: that's the key. and And I'm really hoping conversations like this are valuable to leaders so that they can begin to see, yeah, you know, doing something different. Yep, really is going to be advantageous to them. I mean, a part of it also is, I would say that uh, when Tony and I were first started out to write the book um, that he asked me if this, like, cause it seemed like common sense to him too, yeah. to be good to your customers and your employees. Right. So if, if that is the case, then why not? Hasn't this why why are we still talking about this? Like this should just be like we should be order taking, right? Right. And I said, well, part of it is the financial Wall Street and the way that they measure. So a CEO is held to very um, short term, you know, investor related um, right. things, and as a result, if that mindset is all about people over profit because they think that's the equation and they can't see the equation that we're talking about, which requires a whole new mindset, Yeah, then they're going to keep going down the path that they're going down. So investors or Wall Street or the board is going to keep pushing on that CEO who's going to push on their executive leadership te- team, who's going to push on their EVPs and SVPs, who are going to push it all the way down to the employee, the same old mindset, And so I think until, you know, there's levers that have to change. One is leaders being open to transform how they lead, being open to transforming their culture, being open to listening to their HR leaders, not the HR leaders that are people police, but, um, Mm -hmm. but, but the talent, you know, the talent management folks being, you know, having finance really look at how we're managing the company and measuring things like attrition, measuring things like customer lifetime value or retention. Like we spend so much money trying to acquire customers. How many of those customers do we keep? Right. And how many of those customers are we pushing away? And what is the cost to push them away? I mean, you can do the numbers. You could do a back of envelope calculation, Yeah. but how many companies are really doing that? And so So that's, Right, You know, until these four, we have four fundamental things in the book, culture, leadership, technology, and finance. And I think those are like some of the key places to really start to look at what are the normal levers in your business that you are guiding your business by? And then have you done anything to change any of those so that there would be a possibility of something
1: new emerging? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh my gosh. We could talk about this forever, but we can't. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe a whole hour
1: has gone by Did I know. A whole hour go
0: by what
1: I know. Wow. Didn't we say, no, it'll probably be about 30 minutes. Oh, here we are. But it was <laughs> so great. And I'm, I'm so grateful. And I'm really hoping that all the listeners get the book and, and start rethinking Um you know, the way that they're doing things. And so thank you, Natalie, so much for being here. And will you tell the listeners how they can find you, how they can find the book, you know, all the things they should know? Yes, absolutely. So you can find me on
0: Twitter at at DRNatalie. Uh, my website is www.drnatalienews.com. The book is at empathyinactionbook.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, yeah, reach out. I'd love, I'd love, uh, people to, I'd love their insights about what they're hearing. Right. And I'd love to hear other people's points of view on why this is difficult. And if people have practical tips or ideas or strategies, it would be really great to hear from people because, um, that's part of my curiosity. Now we've kind of said, okay, here's the zeitgeist, here's what's happening in the world. Now I'd love to hear from people who can internalize this concept and then are able to get results. Because I think yeah. at the end of the day, um, for me, it's, you know, an honor to have accomplished finishing a book. But I really think the real work now begins, which is actually seeing this happen in the world. It sure does. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's right. Buckle up there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> there's a lot of work to do. And and I hope that a lot of leaders who are listening to this reach out to you, Diane, because I know that you do a great job in helping leaders think different and helping teams become accountable and helping people manage up well. So, um, you know, you're quite a resource in the world and, and a powerful person that people need to be connecting with and need to help have that kind of help and, someone that they can be honest and, and um, vulnerable with to be able to transform themselves.
1: Oh, thank you. That means a great deal to me. I, I appreciate that. Uh, and same, you know, right back to you, right? We, we are definitely of like mind and, and goal driven to help change the environment that is out there that is not serving people or companies very well. So We'll we'll do it one company at a time, one day at a time and change the world. Yes, I'm there with you. All right. You until are. next
0: time, until next time, have a really great
1: weekend. And thank I can't, you. I can't wait to talk to you again. Me too. Thank you. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for until next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth a production of evergreen podcasts discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com as always continue to prosper and be curious and if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction pick up a copy of succeed without selling on amazon or wherever books are sold until we meet again On another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story,